world-class athletes, great coaches, what do they do when they're at their best? We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. Leave no doubt tonight. Leave no doubt tonight. No doubt. We're going to get him on the run, boys. Once we get him on the run, we're going to keep him on the run. And then we're going to go, 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 go. And we're not going to stop until we get across that goal line. Now, you kids are probably saying to yourselves, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the world by the tail and wrap it around and pull it down and put it in my pocket. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Art of Coaching. I'm Brett Bartholomew, and today I'm joined by Brock Biddle. We're going to get into Brock's introduction in a minute, but what's important to know is Brock was actually a former student athlete that I was fortunate to to work with. Uh, He went into the strength and conditioning field himself after playing sports, also had experience in the fitness side of things, and now is in the real estate side of things. And so Brock's got a really interesting story. And as I said, when I started this podcast, we want to hear from a diverse range of case studies here. There's a lot of you guys that are listeners that you know have dealt with a lot of different struggles in strength and conditioning, your own journey. And a lot of these podcasts don't really touch on that, right? It's, it's, there's a tendency to always talk about, well, what books do we read? What productivity hacks do we use? What do we think about this side of training? And that's great. But underpinning all that are coaches that are people that are trying to find their way in a very crowded, oversaturated field that lends itself to a lot of nepotism, that lends itself to a lot of localism. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of talented coaches, smart people, hard workers out there that are either stuck, feel stuck, can't find a job, and it's it's just difficult to find your way. So Brock was awesome enough to come on. He wants to share his story. He wants to share some things that he struggled with, things that he enjoyed. I hope you guys find this useful. And Brock, I want to welcome you onto the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. Really excited to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. Now, part of the deal with Brock to get him on here is, you know, I had to agree that he could share some embarrassing stories about me when I was a graduate assistant coach working with Brock. I worked under the charge of Jared Nesland at the time uh, when I was able to support with football. It was a tremendous learning experience. I thought we had an awesome uh, complimentary coaching crew there, but I agreed to let Brock do that. But Brock, before we get into the embarrassing stories about me and your story, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Give us a brief background. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, now in the real estate field, I've been for um, a little over a year and a half now. Um, it's just an avenue that I think, uh, you know, lended more towards my goals moving into the future um, as I approach uh, my 30s, you know, getting a little bit older. So um, it's kind of uh, an evolving process and it's kind of where things took me um, after, you know, some struggles in the real estate field. And that's, I think, uh, why Brett brought me on is to talk about some of those things. And I, you know, want to offer some encouragement for people and, and let them know some of the pitfalls that I have. And hopefully uh, you can avoid those things uh, in the future. That's perfect. So, you know, starting with that and, you know, what was your first experience in terms of, you know, after, let's say you're done playing football and I know you got your, your degree in uh, exercise physiology. What, what was your first experience where you realized, okay, this is going to be a tough field to crack into. I'm, I'm going to bypass the whole, how did you know you wanted to get into the field kind of thing? Because, you know, I, I think you had an experience for sport, competition, training, what have you. And, and many people do that get into it. Mm-hmm. But what was the first kind of wake up call if there's somebody listening and they're like, I don't know. I don't know if it's time for me to 
to look at other options or to try something different, you know, and it's not giving people the idea that they need to give up if they're struggling. It's like, what are the first things you notice that were hard and what were the ways you tried to navigate around that early on? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, probably the first uh, kind of wake up call was when I just finished up my graduate degree and there was a possible position coming open at the uh, school that I just graduated from. So I thought, hey, this is going to be great. I'm going to step right in, you know, seamless transition. Well, as I graduated about a month after I got my degree, uh, that fell through, just wasn't um, actually funding for the position. So um, I thought, okay, great. Uh, what am I going to do now? I actually hadn't expanded my network uh, a large amount at that point in time. So I was kind of stuck with, okay, what do I do now? Um, so I actually had some family out here in Arizona. You know, I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, strong strength conditioning uh you know, backgrounds out here. So it just seemed like a good idea to go out here and just kind of, you know, figure things out, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, you know, just worked in the gym setting, did whatever I could to uh, try to learn, I guess. Um, did a couple of internships, actually two out here. Um, one of them being underneath you at Exos. Um, With me. I don't really ever look at it as underneath, you know, I, I think I know what you mean, you know, but like you guys, you guys are so critical to helping us as coaches, full-time coaches do what we do. You know, so I always look at that as you worked with us. Um, and yeah, no, absolutely. So would you say, and not to cut you off, but would you say the first thing you did aside from the, the internships was, you know, your focus was really on immersing yourself in any capacity and trying to find whatever situation you could to kind of get your foot in the door. Is that a correct summary? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, especially when you're starting off, you could never be, think you're too big to do anything and never think you're too big to, you know, help out the little guys. I was helping, you know, grandmas. I was helping out, you know, 12, 13 year old kids, the whole gambit. And that just, you know, expanded where I was as a coach. Um, you know, some people might think like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm working with athletes only. Well, you can't pigeonhole yourself there because there's a large community of people out there that need our help just as much as these athletes do, if not more. So I think, you know, throughout my strength and conditioning journey, I actually helped more people just in the general population than I did athletes. I mean, you know, I think we all know this. You can't. Um, there's only so much you can do for for athletes. You know, they're 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 already talented as is, and we just make them better for their sport. Whereas these, you know, people in the general population, they're in pain or you know they're suffering or, or, or can't move, and you can have some really big impact in some some lives by just helping those people as well. So I think one of the biggest things there is just um, don't feel like you are only there to help out athletes. Help out every person you can, because you never know what doors that's also going to open up in the future. Yeah, no, I think that's a critical point. And when we go through questions that I think people need to ask themselves when they're going through these situations, when they're stuck, when they're trying to find, all right, where, how can I adapt? How, you know, what new uh, strategy can I adopt? Anything like that? There's a couple different questions that I think are important to ask yourself. And first and foremost is, all right, well, what can be leveraged? Meaning, is there an opportunity I'm missing where I'm at right now? And I think you touched on that beautifully you got into a setting that, you know, they trained athletes, but there were also a lot of gen pop. And instead of looking at it as this hierarchy, right? Like, well, my experience training athletes is going to be more advantageous for me than, than training this person. But the reality is, is that's, that's not true. There's not a better than worse than coaching's coaching. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's really not, it's not that hard if somebody has a lot of coaching experience that's diverse to help them now move into the athlete side of things. Whereas if somebody's only worked with athletes, they usually don't have that wide of a skill set or sometimes the patience to deal with 
as you mentioned, the grandma and grandma that may be not as competent from a movement skill standpoint and have very specialized needs medically, uh, but also youth, you know, and, and so I think that, that that lends itself to some great advice is make sure that wherever you're at and Brock, correct me if I'm wrong, by all means, man, it's my podcast, but it ain't my show, if you know what I mean. And uh, don't 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 just start to pigeonhole yourself. This industry is already small enough. If you're like, well, I don't know. And I, I get this question a lot on social media the other day, somebody goes, should I work, focus on working with male and female or male and fee or female athletes? And that caught me off guard. I'm like, dude, this isn't a choice. Um, you know, coach where you can coach, how you can coach, when you can coach like that. That's what you need to focus on right now. When, listen, when you kind of started doing that, like, and you're, you know, you're working with different populations and you're thinking, okay, what else can I do to, to handle this today? You know, what else can, what, what other resources can I draw upon? What, what resource do you wish was available to you at that time? Like, is there something that you felt like you would have loved to be able to go home at night and refer back to, you know, in terms of things that would help guide your career, guide your decision-making or anything of a sort? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think the biggest thing and, and what you definitely helped me out with is just you got to find mentors. I mean, somebody that's done it, that's been there, um, that can help uh, guide you along, you know, not only the the when you're trying to, when things are going well, but uh, when things are going not so great as well, you know, so um, just when uh, you're struggling to find a job or else you, you don't know a question, you're kind of uh, stuck in a pivotal position. I know that I could, I reached out to you multiple times and just say, Hey, I'm feeling this or whatever. I need help. And you were there to help me, you know, every chance I, I asked you. So, um, I think just having a resource to be able to go on to, um, lean on for advice is something that is crucial because otherwise, I mean, um, it's just kind of shots in the dark and sending out resumes. I, I'd spent a ton of times spinning my wheels doing that, you know, just to realize, uh, okay, well, actually in that setting, they usually just hire people that they know. And I was told that about a year down the line after sending about, out about 30 resumes. So um, just kind of knowing where to look and, and, you know, having a resource, having a mentor like that is crucial. Yeah, and I think you hit on another key piece there. A, a lot of times people think, well, I sent the resume and I haven't heard back. And they don't understand that, you know, the people getting these resumes, I, you know, they're piles high, you know, and they're in emails that may get sent to spam or they may never get an answer. Or, you know, it, it's overwhelming, right? Like you think your resume, you, you do all these things to try to make it stand out. But sometimes it's not a matter of the resume not being good enough. It's that it may never see it, you know, and I'm a big, anybody that knows me, I'm a big hip hop fan. It's kind of like back in the day, like you couldn't upload your demo to SoundCloud, right? Like you had to be there trying to get it in the hands of somebody. I always love 50 cents story, like how creative he was, where he knew just trying to do a basic hand to hand, handing out his demo CD was going to get him noticed. So, you know, basically what he did is he accumulated all these demos. He put together mixtape after mixtape after mixtape and then flooded the market with it. Now, not suggesting people do that, but what I'm saying is you've got to look at native approaches. You've got to look at different things. Now you mentioned you know, the mentor. Now I know when I came out, I didn't have a direct mentor. I had people that I learned from along the way, for sure. People like Victor Hall, Jennifer Noyles, you know, Nestland at SIU, plenty more. There were people that I learned from good, bad, you know, all those kinds of things, but nobody that from the root to the fruit had their arm around me and was like, Hey, I'm checking in. How you doing? Or, Hey, I'm going to show you the way to do X, Y, and Z. Nobody was there full scale, right? Which is a big reason why I created art of coaching. I want people to be able to have that and more importantly, create a community that can kind of be that for each other. So, you know, 
<laughs> other other podcasts can change the world. I want to change the people within it because that's the only way I think coaches are going to be able to really lock in and create legacies that they're meant to deliver. But, you know, for that person that's listening, that was probably like me that didn't have a mentor, doesn't have a direct mentor. You know, what was advice that you maybe got from me or some other mentors that you worked with that really stuck with you and maybe still stick with you to this day? So that if they're listening and they have nobody to go to, they can learn from that directly. Is there anything that stuck with you? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Like for anybody listening, these things aren't rehearsed. Um, for, for case studies like this, I want to get people on. It's raw, unedited, unfiltered. And so, you know, if, if, it, if it takes Brock a second, either my advice was really poor or just understand that this is all freestyle. So anything that stuck with you, Brock? No, perfect. This, yeah, it's a great question because... I had a couple of stories uh, based off of you that, that I can actually bring up. Uh, so the first is actually um, to, uh, you know, the interpersonal skills and, and, and building, you know, friendships and, and really caring about your athletes. And I think that all builds into your art of coaching. Um, and a quick story here, when <laughs> I was a walk-on at, at SIU and, and, you know, to be completely honest, probably had no business being out there on the field. I was, you know, five foot seven, 170 pound safety, uh, and Rudy, uh, Rudy, Rudy. <laughs> I was, I was multiple practices that was uh, being chanted. Um, but you know, uh, half the talent of people that we trotted out there every day on the field. So, um, I just remember, I, I don't need, you know, a very specific example. Um, just lying down on the ground. I had, you know, upper cross syndrome. Uh, I could barely put my head on the ground lying flat on my back. I had so many things wrong with me. It was, it was insane. And you took the time to, to notice these things, you know, good or bad. I don't know if you're just making fun of me or not, but um, you noticed these things. You came over and talked to me and uh, you, I believe, pointed out to um, another one of the coaches. Like, Look at this. You know, he's got some some issues here. We need to work with this, whatever. And that other coach just kind of said, oh, OK, brush it off, kept walking. The fact that you paid enough attention to me as a walk on who probably wasn't going to be there in a couple more years. Um, just, you know, speaks to your character. And, and I think it's something that a lot more coaches could, uh, you know, put in the bank and, and know it's something they uh, need to be better at and improve upon. I mean, I think gone are the days of the, you know, stoic meathead uh, strength coach that, you know, is just the, the boot camp drill instructor. Um, you know, you got to care about your athletes and, and people don't know how much people don't know, or excuse me, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There we go. That's what I was trying to get out. So, no. <laughs> and, and, and that's, no, that's an awesome point, but here's the thing, right? That also doesn't help you necessarily get a job, right? There are coaches out there doing that and, and they're commended for it. It's part of mastering the art of coaching. The art of coaching is grounded in the science of connecting, but the truth is there are people out there doing that and far more than I did probably that, you know, still aren't getting a job, you know? And, I wasn't always looked at favorably for taking the extra time to do that. You know, I, I don't think I ever really met this standard strength coach, you know, kind of persona at the time, which was shaved head, arms crossed, former power lifter, you know, what have you. And I believe me, I got plenty of flack for that, you know. And so you're absolutely right. Like people got to know you care, but you also be, have to be able to put a foot in somebody's ass too. I think there's a way that you can do that, that, that really hits home. And what's funny is I think, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong based on your own experience, Coaches have no trouble doing that with athletes, but I don't know that they do that themselves. I don't know that enough coaches sit here and think like, all right, I'm having trouble. I'm in a situation where I feel stuck. I feel I'm not quite sure what to do. They don't want to admit they're unhappy or having issues because if they do, they feel like that's going to, 
well, somebody's going to question my dedication as a coach if I take a new job or if I bring up salary, somebody's going to feel like I'm not in it for the right reasons, right? There's this blanket martyrdom that exists that we're going to address a lot on this podcast where people think that they can't complain, right? And that it's still this first in, last out, shut up, do the job, stay in the corner. But that just doesn't fit, right? Like, how is that relatable to athletes? We're, we're telling them to go out and play with passion every day, think of the future, make good investments on their health, their family, uh, finances, and their uh, schoolwork, if that's where they're at in that point in time. But then you have coaches that are absolutists, that all they do is coach all day, maybe train, and then like work on their programming, and that's that, right? So beyond just caring, beyond that, like what are some intangibles that even if you're being reflective now and you're going back and be like, man, I probably could have tried that or I actually wish I wouldn't have done that. You you gave a perfect example with the fact that resumes aren't enough. Is there anything else you would have done to stand out for the right reasons then other than get experience like you, like you should have? You got your master's degree. You got your resume for all intents and purposes, right? If you watch 99% of the... Uh, YouTube videos out there where people are talking to veterans, strength coaches, or you listen to a lot of podcasts, that's the advice people are getting. Hey, get your degree, intern, make sure you know you got a good resume and it'll all work out. Where is the BS and all that? Where is it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to build off that, probably something would be uh, see how you can uh, make yourself valuable. I mean, go you know, I don't want to harp in the, on the, you know, putting more hours above and beyond type stuff, but, you know, just see what you can do to help out as much as you can. I remember, um, another example when I was interning with you, um, at Exos where we had to be ready early in the morning for a, an NFL group. And, uh, we had all the stuff ready before you even arrived. And that kind of took you off guard and, and, you know, made me feel good at the same time to know that I was doing something right. So, um, kind of uh, thinking ahead, thinking outside the box, as you would say, um, to see what you can do to contribute in as many ways you can other than your typical, oh, my programming's so good or, you know, whatever it may be. Those things are really hard to differentiate. So do other small things, uh, maybe outside the box that can make you stand out. And uh, yeah, well, it'll really, you know, pay dividends in your um, contemporaries eyes, I guess you could say. Now, let's say, <clears throat> let's say we have somebody that's in a situation now that they've tried those things. They still feel like it's just, it's not really going anywhere. They're having trouble. You know, what, what was that point for you? And then what was, what was some of the self-talk, you know, and, and feel free to only share what you're comfortable with. But like when you really knew, like it was kind of getting down to the wire and you're like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, you know? And, you know, a lot of the folks listening probably don't know you, Brock is not a quitter. <laughs> he never has been. And I think that's part of the issue when people think like, hey, if I transition or if I do something different, and and that doesn't even mean getting into different fields entirely like you did. That may mean going from team setting to private sector, private sector to team setting, high school to college, pro to high school, what have you. I know a number of professional strength coaches that would rather be coaching high school kids, but you know the paycheck's too good in the pro and they have a family to support. So um, first of all, transitioning does not mean quitting whatsoever. Um, but what is some, what are some thoughts that you really struggled with and be as specific as possible? Like, what were you saying to yourself at this time? What was the, what were the biggest fears and, and what were the unknowns that, that you felt you really had to encounter when, when push came to shove? Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking to all those things, we did have that conversation. I do remember I told you I was getting a little, uh, burnt out. Um, you know, and that can get to a lot of, of people. And, and I was, you know, I was warned of the, 
the pitfalls of the industry before I got in. And I just thought, yeah, well, I'll figure it out. Well, I didn't really figure it out. It turns out, um, you know, the long hours, the low pay, the, you know, lack of um, appreciation sometimes. And it was just all kind of, uh, you know, wearing on me. And, and, you know, I was getting close to my close to my 30s and, uh, you know, not making much money. Uh, I, I was struggling to take out my girlfriend at the time for for dinner. And, and it was kind of that realization like, wow, I, I'm just not happy. And I think that was the point, Brett, where things kind of flipped a switch. I was like, I'm not happy doing this anymore. And I don't see I don't see it drastically changing within you know, the next year or the next five years or the next 10 years. And so it kind of got to that point, like, you know, I, I got to do something else or else I'm going to be unhappy and broke. And it's not a good combination to have. So um, you just got to be honest with yourself and, and think, is this still fulfilling me? Could I, you know, at first, when I first started in the field, I thought sports, I can't live without sports. I got to be involved somehow. And as I kind of grew up and started getting interested in other things and, and just, you know, becoming a more well-rounded adult, I, it wasn't as important to me anymore, you know? So at that point, you know, being broken, unhappy, you just got to look at other, other avenues and, and real estate was just kind of happened by chance. I went home for Christmas break and talked to a, a buddy of mine who had gotten in and told me how well he was doing. It. And I saw, thought, you know, that sounds like a pretty good deal. <laughs> And, uh, you know, went back home and, and kind of the rest, uh, rest is history. So it kind of just came to the point you have to have that conversation with yourself. Um, are you happy and can you be happy doing something else? I think, no, that's, that's perfect. And I think, you know, touch on one other thing and it goes into what you mentioned there. And this is hard. I, I, I don't know that many of our listeners would admit this and that's fine, nor should they have to, but some of them may be intimidated by telling, you know, their current superior or somebody that they care about or somebody that's helped, you know, maybe help them out when they were doing unpaid internships, like, yo, this isn't what I want to do anymore. Right. Or I want to do it in another sector. I want to listen. I remember having a distinct conversation with somebody when I told them I, I had applied for two collegiate jobs and I wasn't, you know, one, I think I, I heard back that day from HR, for that university. And they're like, Hey, it's already been filled. And that's when I really learned that the majority of the strength and conditioning jobs posted on certain message boards, they're almost, they're almost always already filled by the time they go live. They just have to post them for HR and legal purposes. And then another one, I, you know, I, I'd gotten deep into the process and I believe that coach had transitioned. And so then they were starting interviews all anew. And there was a private sector opportunity that was really unique, allowing me to be able to work with military pros, gen pop high school, you know, so I'm looking at that and I'm like, wow, like if I want to make myself a weapon, like I can go do that. And I know I can get, you know, financially, I can get paid for the first time really in my life. And I remember talking to, you know, a friend and, and he said, listen, if you leave the team setting, you'll never get back in. You'll never get back in. I'm like, I don't know if I believe that man. And at the time, the majority of my friends were in the team setting and there's still quite a few that are. And they all told me the same thing. Dude, you do it. It's a death wish. You'll basically be blackballed. And that was because a lot of people thought that private sector meant like personal training. And in some instances, it might, right? Like not all private sector situations are the same. You might be in a small private sector place in Indianapolis, uh, a rural part of Indianapolis, and you may be waiting for people to come through the door. I was fortunate enough that the the position I was in, we had an abundance of large, medium-sized... I mean, you were there. Did you ever see us do small groups at at... at 
API or Exos at the time, or was it, did that run much like SIU did and even bigger schools? Well, I mean, it was, you know, it was small groups, but it was, it was a ton different. I mean, the, and I think you've touched on this before too, you know, the, the, those people want to be there. And, and so it was, it was kind of, uh, I don't know, a little more happy atmosphere. And I think you, uh, your personality played really well into those type of people. Like you thrived in that environment. And, and like you said earlier, you caught a lot of flack for those type of things, um, that make you, you, but in this private environment, it, it sets you above and beyond, you know, your contemporaries. So I think it just, you got to figure out what your strengths are. And, and some people might be better in the private sector. I think you'd spoke. But what I mean that. in particular, what I mean in particular is it, when you were at API, mm-hmm. right. Or any of the private sector, like you saw some small groups and let's call it five to 10. Right. right. But when you helped with the NFL group, right. There were, the, what, 20, 30 guys there that came throughout that cycle or rotation seasonally, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think, I think a lot of times people think like, oh, like it's a career dead end and, and, or they think you're making a decision long term. And I've said it multiple times, um, you know, this podcast is new. So probably not on this podcast, but I love both sides. And I don't really think I, I get really tired of this private versus team environment. If the right opportunity came today, my wife and I, we, we always say, hey, the right opportunity came with the right people, we would absolutely be happy to consider the team setting, you know, and, and we've talked about that again, there's some great things about the private sector, you know, my position let me as such that there's a lot of opportunities that were out there that basically said, hey, if you do this, you got to kill the book. Um, there's no external stuff, there's no speaking, probably no podcast, no anything like that. And I just wasn't willing to sacrifice that because I had been in situations where I wasn't able to, I mean, for over six years of my career, I wasn't able, I wasn't able to do those things. And for me, leaving a legacy was important. But the point being, and the original question is, some people feel like if they go to their boss today, that they're going to be blacklisted. If they go to the boss today, they're going to be typecasted. If they go boss the, their boss today, they're going to be judged. What would you tell that individual who is scared to let either somebody they love know, somebody they respect know, or somebody they answer to know Hey, I'm transitioning in some way, shape, or form. Oh, I mean, I think. Um, well, first of all, just comparing the two, it's both good experience. I mean, there's no um, the crossover is good. I think it's only looked at a good thing in each of them. But um, you know, in the same in the same vein, there, like uh, doing any type of crossover, yeah, you're going to get doubted at first. Um, but you just have to, you know, kind of have the faith that you can, can make it happen. And, you know, speaking back to, you know, building those personal skills that translate over into real estate, you know, real estate is a people business. So, um, you know, there's things that I actually wasn't very good at, at first, which was, you know, building those relationships with athletes, you kind of harped on, look, you need to talk to these guys, you know, just treat them like they're people, you know, not just these NFL guys or whatever it happened to be at the time, um, building those skills and, and thinking about things differently at that point, uh, translate over really well to, you know, what I'm doing now in real estate in that you just got to talk to people, get to know people. Um, you know, life's all about people. So if you have good people skills, it's going to translate over to whatever field it may be. And is only looked on, I would say as a positive. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and so would you say it's fair that if somebody had to go have that conversation today, right? It's just about being honest, straightforward about your long-term goals, the things that you're trying to commit to as a professional and from a personal standpoint, whether you have a family to support or anything like that. And then just realizing that <clears throat> no matter where you're at in life, no matter what position, somebody's going to think something of you and it's not always going to be good, right? So like you could give 
your your boss, your superior, your colleagues, the most honest answer ever. And there's still sometimes there's going to be people out there that are going to look down on you, you know, but you have to in these situations, <clears throat> excuse me, in these situations, the most important thing is you following your own values. Like, yes, perception, unfortunately, does matter in this world and people will make judgments and people will harbor grudges. A, a big thing in this podcast is we're not going to do the wishy-washy BS like it'll all be OK thing. Not like you're going to get people are going to talk behind your back. People are all going to do those kinds of things, but better them than the people that you love and you're not able to support. Right. So I, I think that you really got to stand strong. And I, I think that making sure that people understand you're following your values, you're not following recognition, you're not following a paycheck, but you're following your values and your values like have a clear idea of what those are. So for those of you listening, if you can't rattle off at least five values right now or within the next you know minute, then that's a clarity exercise. Get out a whiteboard and start thinking and trying to, you know, don't just think friends, family, health, God, you know, things like that, whatever your religious beliefs are, you know, think about specifically what are your values. And, and to give you an example, one of mine is I want, I want some source or sense of autonomy. I like freedom. Um, when I have freedom in what I do or what I can create or how I can operate to a degree, obviously within the standards and operating standards of if I'm working with an organization, right? Freedom's a relative term. And, but I, I, I need to know that I can do my job and I can be trusted to do my job. And if that's not the case, I can't do it. You know, I also know that legacy is important to me. And that's why I turned down some opportunities that said, hey, you got to kill anything you're doing. You know, and I got told once we want to hire a coach, not a brand. And that was really interesting to me, you know, because a brand is just the personification of your values brought to life. I know that we exist or we live in this world right now. We're like, we think branding and people think, oh, it's Instagram or it's, oh, it's this and that. It's making my life look better than it really is. That's not branding. Branding is an extension of your values. Values, not vanity. And don't get, don't start to misinterpret a word and its meaning with a poor, mis, uh, poor misinterpretation of people that just throw it around aimlessly. Right. So, um, you know, Brock, would you say that that's all fair advice? And again, do not agree with me. This is my podcast, but it's not my show. Do you think that that's an accurate depiction of how you handled that situation is discussing your values, making sure those were very clear to you and then following through and maintaining those relationships despite moving on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th I think, um, you know, when I did have that discussion with my employers and I was leaving, leaving the field, um, yes, they're obviously shocked. Um, the fact that I was, you know, getting out of it completely, but, um, after, you know, having talked to them and let them know that a, I wasn't happy B, you know, my values was, I wanted to, um, you know, kind of help as many people as I could. And I, I felt like that was somewhat being, uh, you know, hamstrung there. And it was kind of, you know, along the same lines of um, my brain was theirs, you know what I mean? So, um, but after I was brutal, you know, just brutally honest with them about what was going on in my life and, and what I was looking to do, um, they were actually supportive of it. You know, they, you know, wish me luck. Everything was, um, everything went well. They, you know, asked if they could do anything to help me out. So I think, you know, sometimes you'd be surprised having those type of honest conversations and just speaking from your heart, people will respect that. And, you know, instead of, I don't know, blowing the lid off and, and, you know, making a scene in the exit, just be honest and, and, you know, thank them for their time and, and move on to your next venture. And, and you don't want to burn any bridges. I mean, obviously you never know what's going to happen in the future. So I think, uh, yeah, just being straightforward and honest with people, let them know, 
your values, they're going to respect you more for that. And, uh, you know, you never know what that can lead to in the future. You know, I've stayed in touch with you, even though I've left the industry, uh, you know, I was seeing your praises. So, um, and it's led to me coming here and, and helping you out with this podcast. So, uh, yeah, just treat people well, which, which again, part of your values and you never know what's going to happen. And it's probably only going to lead to good things. So guys, to kind of recap some of this and we're, and we're not quite finished yet, but just to recap, to make sure everybody stays up, you know, it's a lot of information being shared. What we're talking about here is a a variety of case studies throughout the course of this podcast, right? There's going to be some where people share struggles and they're still in the field. And that's tough to do. I mean, respect that. Like there are a lot of people that reach out to me and other people under the radar and and want to share these things, but they don't want to get in trouble with their their current employer because that's the state that we're in now is we have people that, you know, are unhappy, but feel like if they... And not necessarily unhappy, just having a hard time with some things, but they feel like if they make that known in any way, shape or form, they're going to get fired. And sometimes that's the case, right? Sometimes that's the case. Somebody's going to get reprimanded because somebody may think that if somebody's on there complaining and they're under their charge, that that's a direct reflection of them, which isn't always the case, right? People change fields, change professions for a lot of different reasons, a lot of different reasons. Um, but like, you know, appreciate the fact that, you know, Brock is one such individual that again played competitive sports, strength and conditioning was something that is credibly important to him. He did a phenomenal job, you know, as an intern, like he mentioned the point where he was there before us. And, and I, you know, there, there were definitely some strength coaches listening to this. They were like, Oh, that's ridiculous. I'd never let my intern show up before me. No, no, no. You're missing the point. They showed up. This was one of those situations where, you know, you hear about somebody that needed to be somewhere at six 30. And they were there at 3.30, you know, and they were just, it wasn't that they were just there because there's a big difference. If you hear nothing else, listen to this. There's a big difference between being somewhere and actually showing up. So it wasn't that they were there. I don't pull up and I'm like, wow, these guys got here super early. It was that they were there. They laid everything out. They were smiling. They were ready to go and they were ready to go in multiple facets. And that's pretty quotidian, but even that wasn't enough to get some folks jobs, like, like showing up, being the first in, last out, having the great resume isn't always enough. So what you have to do is you have to be able to look and, and say, do I have the, you know, the perspicacity or the shrewdness to say, all right, is this something I want to continue to do? If it does, cool, stick it out. I mean, I'm self-employed. I, my wife and I, I've moved 15 times in the name of this field. And that's through graduate school, internships, promotions, going out on my own, contract agreements, things like that. There are many of you that are listening that have done a a ton more. Some of you have never been fired. Some of you have been fired four times and you've got to answer that question. One thing I will assure you and Brock will too, and I'll make sure that you guys can get in touch with him is that even if you haven't experienced a life change in this field so far, you will. So even if you're somebody right now that lives, breathes, dies by it, you set your alarm at 430, you're embracing the quote unquote grind. You know, you set your crock pot, you know, the minute you leave the door and you come back at 830 at night after doing eight by eight squats with some Russian program you shouldn't be doing because the research was misinterpreted and there were a lot of drugs. And you just think, I'll never get burnt out. This is all I do. Trust me. At one point in time, you're going to have a husband or a wife. At one point in time, you're going to have bills to pay. At one point in time, you're going to be asked to do something that conflicts with your values as a professional and as a person. And you need to always have a backup plan. You need to have a backup plan because persistence and insanity aren't that far away from one another. They're not. Persistence is seeing something through and making sure that you have, you know, the kind of the mental tenacity, fortitude and focus to go through the fire. But insanity is doing the same thing over and over again without learning your lesson. And that's not for me or Brock or anybody else to decide. But just know that if you are struggling with things, you're absolutely not alone. 
I think that your your coach, your your favorite coach's favorite coach, if you were to reach out to that person, everybody's got their struggles. Brock, in the event that somebody listening wants to get in touch with you and, you know, they, they maybe have gone through this stuff or they're going through it now and they kind of just under the radar want to connect with somebody who can relate and, 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 and all those things, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all over social media. Um, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Brock Biddle, B-R-O-C-K-B-I-T-T-L-E. You can also email me, uh, Brock Biddle, spelled the same way, azrealtor at gmail.com. I'm always happy to... Can you repeat that again since it's the longest damn email address in the world? Yeah, I'm, I'm a shameless promoter, as I was telling Brett earlier. It's my first name and last name, B-R-O-C-K-B-I-T-T-L-E-A-Z, realtor at gmail.com. And guys, I'll make sure that this is linked in the show notes and everything like that. Also, I'm going to link um, a sign up for the newsletter. If any of you are interested in more about career development, you know, managing these kinds of things, whether it's, you know, uh, your, your career in the team setting, or you're looking to open up your own facility, or you're kind of just unsure about what to do. And, and you want to, you know, kind of learn lessons that you need to, you know, bank now so that you don't learn them the hard way later, even things like investing and, and what you should be doing financially or just things to be aware of. Um, we're going to be releasing something really unique and, and hopefully really helpful in the near future on that that can guide coaches. I know it's something that I sat through numerous conferences. I think it was after like my third presentation I'd watched that day, uh, you know, on a squat and why we should be squatting. And I'm sitting here thinking like, I love this stuff. I love training, but why are we not talking about other career development things? And and that's going to be provided. So if you want to stay up to date on something like that, um, click and join the newsletter and you'll be updated. I don't do the whole spam thing. I, I try not to bother anybody. I know what that's like. Um, but get in touch with Brock. There's going to be a lot of you out here that are dealing with these things or maybe you're not, but you still kind of want to get in touch with them for various reasons. Our jobs to create this network. Brock, I really want to thank you for coming on. Any last word? Any, any last? Any last words, Brock? Because you're dead after this. Um that's part of the deal with the podcast. Any any kind of last pieces of advice or, or just thoughts that you want to share before people sign off? Yeah, I just think, you know, the biggest takeaway from my story, Brett, is that um, if you find something is not fulfilling you anymore, or you're not happy doing it, you just have to have the, the courage and the confidence in yourself to know that whatever avenue you choose to go into, you're going to make it work and, and make it happen. So, um don't get stuck in something you don't enjoy doing. Uh, do what makes you happy or find something else that might make you happy. That's perfect. Guys, if you want to learn more, go to artofcoaching.com. Again, that's artofcoaching.com. Glad to have you all as listeners, contributors, want to get more of you on the show. Brock, I want to thank you for your honesty. This is something that's not easy to talk about to date. I don't think I've ever heard a podcast where one person has got on that just shared, hey, yeah, I found out that this wasn't for me. And uh, I moved on and I did this. So I think it takes a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, just, I don't want to use the term bravery. I think that's overused, but I just, it, it takes a tremendous amount of balls just to get on and do that. So thanks for sharing your time with us, man. I hope people get in touch with you and utilize that resource. Again, if you want to get in contact with them, check the show notes and please leave a review if you guys are finding value in this. Thanks again, Brock. Right, I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, guys, feel free to reach out to me. I'm always happy to answer any questions you might have.